Hello again, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Marlins 9. I'm your host, Jeremiah Geiger, and today is a jam-packed episode of various topics I posted earlier on Twitter uh, to those who follow me and, and saw my tweet. I wanted to hear your thoughts on on discussion points and and topics to cover and talk about on today's on tonight's episode. And I had some good responses and we're going to get right into it. But first off, I wanted to say that this past weekend I was in attendance for my first Marlins game of the year. It was in Washington DC, first time in the nation's capital, first time at Nationals Park. And it was a beautiful park, um, very nice stadium, a very nice location. Um, and the Marlins ended up winning that game, 6-5. to five. It was the first game of this past series against the Nats, a team that the Marlins have absolutely owned over the past couple couple seasons. And, and it was an awesome time. Seats were just three, four rows right behind the Marlins' dugout. And Luis Arias collected a five-hit game. Got to witness that in person. Um, Second homer of the season. Ball was absolutely crushed. And it was just incredible to be able to see in person uh, the team. And, you know, anytime you go to a baseball game, it's it's a wonderful experience going to going to ball games is something truly truly special I certainly enjoyed my time um, got to see Sandy Alcantara pitch it wasn't his sharpest outing but just all in all got to celebrate a Marlins win over at Na- in Nationals Park Luis Arias five hit game just just a great time just a great time so it was really, it was really good to go see them for the first time this season. Uh, today, or I should say yesterday, I'm recording this a little bit after midnight. I'm staying up late for this one. Uh, I was doing a lot of research before this episode, um, and there's going to be some good, some good content, some good points and discussion points I'm going to get into. But a few hours ago. The Marlins destroyed the Toronto Blue Jays. 11-0, season high in hits, 19 hits from the Miami Marlins tonight. And it was just incredible to see. Bring that run differential down. I went to the gym. I had the game on when I got out. I turned it on. It was in the seventh inning. I had been I had been keeping track of the score, of course, and had noticed it was 5-0, felt pretty comfortable about that, but got to turn it on in the seventh, and the hit barrage just continued from there on, run after run after run, batting around in the seventh. Um, Luis Arias, I was there in person for his second five-hit game. He collected yet another five-hit game. It's, it, it averages back to 400. It is just incredible to see and witness what Luis Arias is doing right now in the game of baseball. An absolute magician with the bat. Um, yeah, another five-hit game. It's, it's awesome. And 
the run differential went down a lot for for all the haters out there. Eleven to zero, beating a really good Blue Blue Jays team, and not only beating them, but just it was a beat down. Um, you know, Marlins haven't scored double digit runs much at all this season, but the, it brings their run differential down from negative 24 entering today to negative 13. That's a big talking point. Um, I've noticed around the fan base and also the league pundits out there who mentioned, yeah, the Marlins are 10, 11 games up over 500. They're rising in the power rankings. Um, for those of you who track that this week on, on most sites, they're in the top 10, but it always, the main issue that the casual fan has, um, or not even the casual fan, but those around the game of baseball that perhaps don't cover or watch the Marlins intently and very closely, they always seem to bring up the run differential. Well, they're going to come back down to earth. They're, they're pretenders. Well, this team isn't pretenders, and they're now 11 games over 500 for the first time since 2009. At any single point in the season, the Marlins have not been 11 games or better over 500 in 14, 14 years. Like, it, it's incredible, the start that Miami has, has had. And we're approaching the end of June. Like, this team is for real. This team is a good baseball team. And as a fan who has watched the Marlins and followed this team intently and passionately for years since I was a kid, to be able to see this and to be able to see this team compete and actually be legitimately good. It's, it's incredible. It's going to be a really, really fun summer as, as the trade deadline is approach uh, is approaching another, another uh, month and some change. The trade deadline is approaching. That's going to be fun. Um, and this team is just awesome. This team is just awesome to watch individual performances. I mentioned Luis Arias. Uh, y- you know, there's. I'm running out of things to say about the guy. He's that good. And a lot of it has been done without main contributors who who were expected to, to be leading this team. You know, Sandy Alcantara and Jazz Chisel. Uh, Jazz has been injured. Sandy has struggled. Like the Marlins are 11 games over without being carried by those two guys, the two quote unquote um, stars of this team. Well, they have a new superstar and a Luis Arias that has certainly helped, but production has come from, from different, from different players all over from the rotation, from the bullpen, everybody uh, from the lineup, everybody is contributing Unexpected names are contributing. Bounce back seasons. Jorge Soler revenge tour 2023. It's been just un 
untreaded ground uh, this season as a fan. Like I have not seen this and had this much, you know, excitement and legitimate hope and belief in in the Miami Marlins in you know my entire fandom. I think uh, 2016 was the last time I was like maybe this team can get in the playoffs. But even then, they never reached 10, 11 games over 500. And right now, they're one of the best teams in the National League in terms of record-wise, sitting right behind the Atlanta Braves. Uh, What an awesome start to the season for the Fish. But I'm going to get into the topics that you guys on Twitter – brought up to me um and we're gonna start by my thoughts on yori perez and his inning limit what to do with Eudi perez and this is a tough question and it's something i've thought about and talked about on on previous pods and it's one of those it's one of those issues where it's certainly not a bad problem to have based on uh, on Perez's production. He's been one of the best starters, um, albeit a limited, a limited, uh, you know, um, appearances. But he's been one of the best in baseball. Certainly one of the most exciting and the best Marlins pitcher we've seen this season. His ERA is 1.80. Um, just in Seattle, he had not broken five innings in a major league start. He pitched six innings. And it's it's just incredible to see what he is doing. And certainly one of the best young pitching prospects and, and on his way to su- superstardom, I believe, for Eury Perez. But when it comes to limiting his innings, it's something that the organization certainly takes very seriously. He has not pitched even 100 innings in um, the minor leagues. He skipped over AAA completely when he was called up um, to the big league roster. And with a talent like him, there is just so much precaution that comes into, of course, handling his innings, handling how many starts he has. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. As I said, 77 innings in last year, the, the highest amount of innings he, he's pitched. Well, combined with the minor leagues earlier this season and his major league innings, he's well on his way to match and then pass that depending on what Miami does. Right now, he's at 66 combined innings between the minor leagues and the major leagues. It's June 20th. He starts again tomorrow against Toronto, and it's going to be interesting because it's not a matter of when, it's a matter, or if, rather. It's it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, Eury Perez gets a break. 
And I don't necessarily have a problem with that. But the question is when and how do you do it? Because the number one concern for the for the Miami Marlins is injury. You do not want to injure you you do not want, you do not want Eudi Perez to suffer a career altering injury by overworking him and running him into the ground. He is a prized prospect. He has to be taken care of. But at the same time, he is he looks unhittable at times and has been your best pitcher by a long shot this season and now you're 11 games over 500 and you're you suddenly look around and say, "Hey, we can we can make the postseason. This is a legitimate postseason team if if we make the right moves and we just play good baseball. So you you also don't want to take out one of your most crucial pieces and weapons out of your rotation completely. Um, so there's a couple there's a couple different answers to that. One is the six man rotation. One is that you go to a six-man rotation for a little bit and you allow Aori to, to not pitch as often as he would have. I don't like that idea. I don't like that idea, number one, because I think it messes up the groove of, of the entire rotation with the mentality that I'm pitching every six days instead of five days. I think there is is a mental aspect to that i think that you also want to get as many starts as you can from from other guys who are pitching well and not taking away their starts if you're going to pitch sandy alcantara albeit he's struggled this year um i think you want to pitch him every five days rather than every six days um and when you look at the rotation right now, Edward Cabrera has gone down with an injury. Trevor Rogers, there really isn't any update on his return yet. Um, we saw today, this past game, the Marlins used uh, Brian Hoeing as an opener slash starter, went four innings. So if you go to a six-man rotation, not only do you have the mental aspect and how the the starters handle that it's who do you throw in the six man rotation and consistently give yourself a chance a, a a good chance and a good edge to win every time you go out there well you have Sandy you have Luzardo you have Braxton Garrett that's 3 you have you have Audi Perez that's 4 and then Edward Cabrera is down, who was the fifth one. And you have two other slots who it's like, who do you really throw in there? Do you, do you throw in Johnny Cueto when he returns? When does he come back? Is the six man, is the six spot in the rotation, a Brian Hoeing type of game, a bullpen type of game? I just don't like the dynamic of that. And at the end of the day, Eury Perez is still going to be pitching every sixth day if you take that route. You are limiting his innings by a little bit, but at the same time, he's still going to be collecting more mileage on his on his right arm. And come postseason, 
he's going to be he's going to have surpassed certainly in the 77 innings and probably would be approaching 90 maybe 100 innings um and then there's the postseason so for the six-man rotation i i I just am not a fan of it i've always been five a five-man rotation it's worked for so many teams I don't want to change the dynamic in the middle of the year uh, so so quickly. Another another option that I mentioned on Twitter was acquiring a starter. And with the Marlins farm system, would there be enough prospect capital to to acquire a starter and a bat? Uh, I didn't, I didn't necessarily think about this issue, but the, the starting rotation isn't, it isn't the, the main need for the Marlins at the moment. It's the, it's the hitting when it comes to the deadline. And Eli Sussman pointed this out on Twitter. He said that the Marlins just don't have the prospect capital. They don't have the resources in this farm system to go out and get a major league starter. And I would argue that there might be an innings eater option come the trade deadline, but at the same time, and this is why the acquisition of Johnny Cueto was so important, you need one of those two, Johnny Cueto or Trevor Rogers, to come back because I think those two, a combination of those two or both, are going to be back in the big leagues, and that is when Eury Perez is shut down and allowed to skip one, two, three, four starts, however many amount of starts, however much rest the organization believes that he needs. I think you're not going to see that until Trevor or Cueto comes back into the rotation. That makes the most sense to me. You signed Cueto to eat up innings. Unfortunately, he got hurt. Trevor Rogers has been hurt all season. Maybe those are the guys that come back, and that is like the quote-unquote deadline starting pitching acquisition. Instead of going externally, you stay internally and wait for them to get healthy. Hopefully they're ready to go sometime in July. Of course, this is all speculation. Um, I don't know when they would be ready to pitch again and to be a full go in the rotation again. But at this point, I think that is when you, you allow Auri to rest and... You certainly bring him back in September. The ideal situation in my mind is Eudi gets his break, is shut down sometime in August. That in my that should allow enough time for or 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 end of July. That should allow enough time for Trev or Cueto to hopefully come back and eat up those innings. And then you work Eudi back in September. You don't have to throw his arm out in September, but in the stretch, if you're in a wild card race, 
I want Pettis pitching. I really do. He's he's that good. So limit his innings, but it's all about the timing, when you do it, who you replace him with, and when you bring him back. Of course, this is all assuming Miami is continuing to win and competing for a playoff spot. Because if the Marlins are com- competing for a playoff spot, you best believe Eudi Perez will and should be pitching at the end of the year. So do it sometime in the summer. The second question ties into this a little bit is the deadline plans. What are the targets I expect and I want to see Miami go after at the trade deadline? This is the first time in years that the Marlins are legitimate buyers. Legitimate buyers at the tra- at the trade deadline and we still have a month to go. But it's fair to say that this team is going to try to go out and make an addition via the trade market. I think they have to. Um, And I mentioned offensively was their biggest need, specifically catcher. And the one guy that I want to see Miami really make an effort, and it's a no-brainer in my mind who to trade for, is Yasmani Grandal. Yasmani Grandal, a catcher on the White Sox, is hitting 268. Five homers, um, a bit of a drop in power if you look at his career historically. But the White Sox are bad. They're a bad team. And they're going to be selling, but according to reports, they're going to be selling players on expired contracts. So Yasmani Grandal could be a player that is, is moved. He's not going to break the bank. He's not going to cost you your top prospects. He's not going to cost you, you know, um, the guys that the Marlins really don't want to part with. I, I, I would say Jake Eater is a guy the Marlins don't want to don't want to part with. Uh, and the Marlins system is thinning, but there's a lot of there's a lot of really good players. Max Meyer coming off injury, he's still one of the Marlins' top prospects. I, I, I don't think you, you trade Yidi Cape either. But if the Marlins can throw in a one, maybe two lottery-type prospects, maybe the White Sox, who are in just a terrible, terrible downfall since 2021, they made a managerial change. Um, their fans are upset. They're not a good baseball team. They're going to be selling off players whose contracts are expiring. Maybe you take him and and um, you take on the rest of his contract. You DFA Stallings, and there and there's your catcher for the stretch. It's a rental. You got a rental. It's okay. You're not going to have to give up much. A couple lottery tickets. Lottery ticket prospects, as I said. Um, and and we'll see. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong and the cost will be more. I don't see how it would be. Yasmani Grandal is, an, is a number one target that I want as a fan 
for Miami to go after would fix the catching position. Nick Fortes has not been bad. He hasn't been anything special. Jacob Stallings has been awful. And you have Grandall come in, veteran guy, can hit, can can call a game, can work with the pitching staff. Huge upgrade. Huge upgrade for the Marlins. Heimer Candelario is another guy, third baseman for the Nationals. Nationals aren't doing anything this year. Jaime Candelario's contract expires a lot like the situation with the White Sox and Grandal. No reason to keep him. And he's not having a bad year. Gene Segura is having a, a bad year, a terrible year. Um, of course, the Marlins are going to get rid of Segura because of the contract and the money he's owed, much like the Avisail Garcia problem. But... You're, if you're in a playoff push, you're going to need production. Third base has been manned almost exclusively by Segura this season. He just went on the injured list, but he's been really, really bad. I don't think you can justify the left side of your infield consisting of Joey Wendell and, and Gene Segura if you're in the middle of a wild card race in September. Um, hopefully, hopefully Segura turns it around, but Candelario is a guy to look for come the trade deadline if the Marlins want to get an upgrade. What I would do, and this is, this is something that an experiment Miami could try, is throw out Jacob Amaya at shortstop have him have him alternate with with Joey Wendell and make John Birdie the everyday third baseman who John Birdie's having a pretty good year. His average is two over 270 um back to back three hit days like John Birdie can do everything. He can play defense, he can play anywhere on the field. He's fast. He makes a lot of contact. And he's hitting, yeah, 278. Pulled up the numbers right now, just about 280. Um, in limited action, but or not even limited action. He has 198 at-bats on the season. Um, I would make John Birdie your everyday third baseman. Or... And make Amaya your shortstop, switch Amaya and Wendell, and just see, give Amaya, Jacob Amaya extended at-bats these next couple weeks while Gene Segura is on the injured list. And see how he hits. Just see how he hits. We've seen this before. We've seen the experiment with Herrera and Carnacion, giving um, Lewin Diaz, giving them extended at bats in the major leagues before they decided no this guy is not going to be an everyday outfielder or first baseman for our ball club so give these guys at bats give Amaya at bats um, he can split time with Wendell play birdie at third and see how and see the production from them over these next couple weeks by while Segura's on the injured list maybe maybe Jacob Amaya is the guy 
the Marlins need at this time and, and, and can provide some offense for the infield. But Candelario is a guy to keep an eye out for. And the next, moving on from, from the trade deadline, and it's going to be a lot of rumors over the next couple months, or the next month, I should say. But an interesting question, this was posed by Eli Sussman, is who do I expect to have more production at the end of 2023? Brian De La Cruz or Jesus Sanchez? So I took a deep dive into the numbers. And it's at, it's very, very interesting um, when you look at it, how similar they are in terms of batting average and balls in play and strikeout percentage, walk percentage. Uh, the main difference, Brian De La Cruz has a lot more at-bats than Jesus Sanchez. Jesus Sanchez spent ha- spent a lot of time, not a lot of time, but spent a decent amount of time on the injured list. So De La Cruz has a lot more at-bats, over uh, about 130 more at-bats this season than, De- than, than Sanchez. So overall right now, DLC is hitting 269, eight homers, 38 ribbies. So he's been driving in a lot of runs. Um, just about matching his total from last season. And Jesus Sanchez hitting 270. Um, and I, I believe after tonight's game, the numbers went up. Yeah, Sanchez is hitting 276 now. And, and De La Cruz is hitting 271. Both of them collected a couple of hits in today's or last night's ball game. So they're. Their average is is up there compared to compared to last year, especially for Jesus Sanchez, who really struggled. 214 at the beginning of the season. A lot of people were calling for his head. And he really has turned it around. I like both of these players. I think I think DLC um, has turned into such a reliable bat and a clutch bat for the fish. Um, and Jesus Sanchez has earned his at bats. He, he earned back the trust of the organization and the fan base now hitting over 270. Of course, we, we know he has the, the power, but he is really utilizing the opposite field. And that's something that I think has not been really wasn't seen from him before, uh, last year and the year before, was his ability to go the opposite way, to not try to swing for the fences and pull every single pitch. He's really going to the opposite field, and I really love to see that. Um, Hard hit percentage, both of them right above 40%. De La Cruz has him uh, just by 3%. So, but, But you look at Jesus Sanchez going the opposite way, 28.7% 28.7% of the time, he'll pull 31% of the time. Um, that that's really good. That's really good to see both of these players. Defensively, we saw Sanchez make a game-saving catch against the Mariners, um, which was just ecstatic to watch live. Uh, game-saving heroic play. But but you look at it both, and and you can dive into stats into the stats all you want. 
Um, but I have to go with DLC. And it's a tough decision, but I trust DLC more based on his 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 at-bats, the amount of at-bats he has, and, and his consistency. He struggled in the month of June, but I expect... You know, everybody gets in a slump. He he was in a slump earlier this season. But DLC is a player who can drive in a lot of runs. He can come up with a lot of hits in run, with runners in scoring position. Already close to 40 RBIs on the season. And I think he has... I think he, he doesn't have the the swing and miss tendency that Sanchez has. And I know I mentioned the strikeout percentage was very similar, but Jesus Sanchez, sometimes it looks like he's just swinging out of his shoes and he's gotten a lot better at that. But Miami does not trust him against left-handed pitchers this season. He hardly has any at-bats against left-handers. Um, compared to righties. And I think DLC is is more of a complete hitter, whereas Jesus Sanchez, and it's gotten a lot better, is still visually, it looks like he is just a hacker. He is ha- hacking at, at everything. Too often do I see uh, strikeouts still way above the zone or or inside of the, of the zone. So... Right now, I'm going to say DLC is going to have better production. DLC struggled, has struggled in in June. He's hitting under 200 in June. But overall, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. I, I think both players are going to have similar numbers in terms of average. Their their BAPIP, <laughs> batting average and ball with balls in play, is about 30 35 points ahead of league average. Will that go down, or will they can um, maintain it over the over the rest of the summer and into the fall? Time will tell, but I believe DLC is going to end up having better numbers overall than than Jesus Sanchez because I think he's more consistent of a hitter. And now there there's the issue of the schedule, and wow, we're already approaching 35 minutes, guys. This is, if, if you're listening to this, thank you for listening because this is one of the longer episodes. And yeah, it's great. It's great to talk. Great to talk some Marlins. But the tough schedule ahead. And this is where we're going to find out are the Marlins pretenders or contenders. That's what a lot of people have said. I, th- I believe with all my heart, the, this team is for real. I think this team is for real. And the schedule, the immediate schedule, isn't as daunting as it seems. You have the Blue Jays, two more against the Blue Jays. You already beat them into the ground, eleven to zero. Then you have a home, another four at home versus Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's not a bad baseball team, but after their scorching hot start, they certainly have cooled off. Then you have Boston, and now as we enter July fourth. This is where you're going to have the Atlanta Braves. If you can get to the Atlanta Braves and reasonably you could you could I could see the Marlins winning the series against the Blue Jays 
They just have to win one more. And then taking three out of four versus Pittsburgh and two out of three versus the Red Sox, both of the Red Sox last place in the AL East. They're not a bad team, but they're certainly not a great team either. Um, No reason why the Marlins can't win both of those series. Then you go against the Braves. I think the series against the Braves is going to tell you a lot about this team because, because this team has sucked against Atlanta. They Atlanta just has their number, and I hate the Braves. Um, their lineup is, is ridiculous. They have good pitching. They're just a really, really, really great team. And in order to be the best, you have to beat the best. Well, the Marlins are going to get their shot. July 4th weekend, June 30th, 1st and 2nd of July, you're in Atlanta. You're in Truist. That's what I'm looking forward to. That That is going to be the watermark of, hey, look out. Like, already, I think this team is good. But can this team be really, really good? You're going to go have to take a series from Atlanta in Atlanta. Circular calendars on that one. That is a series I'm going to be looking forward to. And then, of course, you you, you got the rest of the month of July. Nothing too crazy. You got the Cardinals, who have been bad. Really, really bad. Um, six games in July against the Cardinals. The Rockies at home. The Tigers at home. Both of those teams aren't good. Marlins should should take care of business. August is going to be a tough month. But I think we're too far away to talk about the Marlins and speculate how the month of August is going to go. Because the roster could look different. The Marlins could make upgrades. They might have a new catcher who, who, can, who can hit. They might have a new infielder, whether that's a new shortstop, whether that's a new a new third baseman. How do they handle that? The Marlins' offense could look a lot different by by the time August rolls around. So I'm not going to get into August right now, but that is going to be a tough month. Right now, I want to focus on taking care of business against the one game at a time, but against the Blue Jays, Red Sox, Pirates, and then the big one is the Braves. This These next couple weeks are going to be huge. Right now, the Marlins are 11 games over. Can you push until and get that record up maybe to 15 games over five? That would be incredible. Like, people are really going to start taking to take notice of this team, and they should. They already should. This team is good. So that's it for Marlins 9. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Share it, and let's go fish.